My name is Brady. I'm one of the teaching pastors here at Mosaic. And I, I had a, a really interesting experience growing up in school, in high school and in college. And I don't know, maybe it's unique, maybe no one else can relate to it. But when I was taking certain classes, I thought to myself, this is completely and utterly irrelevant to my life. I, I will never use this ever. And then 15 plus years later, uh, through a lot of wisdom and life experience, I look back now and I think, you were absolutely right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for real. I've never, I've never sat there and thought, man, if only I could remember the Pythagorean theorem, I could know the distance from here to here because I know the distance from here to here and from here to here, and this is a right angle. I've, I've never thought that, ever. I spent hours trying to memorize the periodic table of elements. I've never used that. I, I don't know why I know this, but C6H12O6 is the chemical formula for what? Glu- glucose, sugar. It's close to salt, but it, it's white and small too. Yeah, but, but yeah, it's sugar. Um, don't need that. Anybody remember this? Kingdom, phylum, class, order, family, genus, species. Yeah, yeah, you don't need that. Now, 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 some people do. Some people need some of these things. And, and that's great that, that we're teaching them. But, but not everybody needs all of them. Uh, I basically, from Spanish cl- class, I remember, Donde esta la biblioteca Raúl? And I tell you what, I, this is true. I've been to Mexico a lot of times. I've never needed to know where the library was, ever, ever one time. In fact, I've never needed to know in America where the library was. So, uh, but, but we learned that, right? You, you got to learn some of these things. Um, and, and, and there's just, I think back about my time at school, and I think back about learning how to write in cursive, which I don't do anymore. Does anyone here write in cursive? Some people do. I can't even write in lowercase anymore. It's, it's all caps for me. That's it, right? If I need to do a capital, it's just a bigger capital letter. That's, that's the way I roll, okay? And I think about my schooling. I think about my life and all the time that I put into that, all the effort, all the uh, studying I did, all the money that I, I or my parents put into that. And I just think, wow, what a waste. What a waste, and, and that's not, nothing against teachers. I mean, you guys are doing an incredible thing. In fact, I think what you do beyond the stuff that you teach is so impactful for all of our lives. I know we all have teachers that we look back at, at our lives that have made such a huge impact. And, and for me, at least, it wasn't the things that they taught, but more the way that they taught and the way they treated us. But, but here's the deal. It's not just school. There's so many things in our life you look back at, at least I do, and I think, man, I wasted so much. All the girls that I dated before my wife, which if she asked you was zero, um, they were just, just between us, okay? There were, there were a few. And, and I just wasted time, wasted emotions on all of that stuff. And, and maybe you can relate. Maybe you can look at your life and you think, there's a lot in the past that was wasted. And maybe even worse. Maybe there's a lot in the past that wasn't just waste, wasn't just neutral waste, but it was worse. It was bad. It was negative. And the reason I even bring that up is because uh, we're going to talk about a guy named Paul today. And I, I really think that Paul could relate deeply to this idea. Why don't you grab your Bibles? Uh, we're going to be in Romans for the first time ever. I'm so glad I get to tell you that. We're going to be in Romans chapter 1, because we thought we'd start at the beginning. In verse 1, if you brought in one of these ivory Bibles with the, the blue lettering, um, it's going to be on page 1039. 1039. It starts off and it says, Paul, 
which we need to pause right here, okay? Now, the way that we write letters today in our, in our culture is that we don't do that. But the way that we write emails is that we start out with the person to whom we're sending the email to, right? I, I will write, dear so-and-so, um, if that was their name, or Bill or Fred or whatever the name was, right? Dear that person first. But that's not the way they wrote letters uh, in the first century. And just so you know, this is a letter. This is a letter that Paul is writing to the church at Rome. And he's starting by introducing himself because that's the way it went. Now, the thing that's so important about this is that this is the way that Paul is desiring to present himself to these people. This is the identity that, that he has of himself that he wants to present to people, okay? So this, he's choosing to say these things about himself. Um, and Paul would be so bad at Facebook posts, you know, like representing himself to the world with, with selfies and stuff, because he starts out with servant of Christ Jesus. I mean, come on, come on, Instagram, Facebook, nobody's taking bad selfies. No one's like, oh, I'm the worst of the worst, right? We tend to present the best of ourselves. Paul starts out like this, servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. This verse is so packed with scripture. It's beautiful. I mean, it's got meaning and depth in here. First thing, servant. That word is just a little bit misleading. The word there is doulos, which you don't need to know. That's just like one of those things that teachers taught you, like C6H1206. But I want to tell you so you think I'm smart. And that's probably not why teachers do it. That's why I do it. But doulos. And that means basically a slave, okay? And, and here's the thing. A, a slave in Roman society was the lowest of the lows, okay? It was, it was a class society, so there were a number of different classes, and slave was the bottom rung. Slaves didn't have any rights. They existed for the pleasure of their master, okay? So Paul is voluntarily introducing himself as a slave of Christ. Jesus. Now, I really like how in Romans it says Christ Jesus, because a lot of times we think that Christ is his last name. Right? We usually we see Jesus Christ. It's not his last name. It means Messiah or anointed one. This is a kingly term for Jesus, the anointed Jewish king who was prophesied to rule and reign over all. Okay, so I am, Paul is saying, I am a servant or a slave of Christ Jesus, the king. And I'm a, an apostle Set apart, so I'm, I'm called to be an apostle, but I'm also set apart for unique purpose. I'm set apart for the gospel. And we know later in, in a number of his other letters, he talks about how he's the apostle to the Gentiles. Now, if that's confusing, don't worry. In that day and age, from a Jewish person's perspective, there were only two types of people in this world. There were Jewish people and not Jewish people. Right? That makes sense, right? You either were Jewish or you weren't Jewish. All other races and ethnicities were Gentiles, okay? So he was the apostle to the Gentiles. Now, there's two words in here that are just epic, apostle and gospel. And these two words are so great. And they have allusions, uh, allusions, illusions, Allusion, illusions. Yes, yes, it's illusions. Um, thank you for helping me out. Um, allusions to Isaiah chapter 42 and 50. 
because what had happened in 586 BC, the, the southern kingdom of Judah was basically destroyed by Babylon and then taken into captivity. Their people were taken into captivity in Babylon. And they were hoping for, longing for, looking forward to the time when Babylon would be taken down and they would be able to come back. And so they were looking for someone to be sent to proclaim the good news that Babylon had been taken care of and the exile was over. An apostle of the gospel, of that gospel. A gospel just means good news, okay? And then on the other side of things, Paul is living in Rome, right? That was the, the empire that was ruling basically the known world. What would happen is whenever there'd be a brand new emperor or something epic would happen, some kind of major peace would break out or the birthday of the emperor or something like that, and they wanted to send out and tell people, they didn't have YouTube, they didn't have the internet, so they would send physical people out, they would send apostles out to proclaim the good news, the gospel, that there's a brand new emperor or there's peace on earth or there's whatever else they wanted to tell you. And so Paul is doing both of these things beautifully, uh, putting them together, these things that people would know and understand and saying, hey, I'm a servant of Jesus and I'm called by Jesus to be sent out by Jesus to tell you the good news of Jesus. Now, that is good, okay? But in order, I think, this verse to really come alive, we need to look back into Paul's life. Um, this may be the most no-duh sentence ever, but Paul was not a 21st century American, Okay, he wasn't concerned about the 2016 election. He wasn't worried about what's going to happen if Trump wins? What's going to happen if Hillary wins? Like, what are we going to do? Who are we going to impeach first? Right? He wasn't worried about that. He wasn't worried about his right to privacy. He wasn't worried about his right to bear arms. He, he just, he didn't, he wasn't concerned with those things because these are 21st century problems. Now, these are things that we deal with, and so we need to look through the lens of Scripture and figure out how we're going to deal with these things, but it's not something that Paul dealt with, okay? Paul was not Caucasian. He was not an African-American. He was not Hispanic. He was not Asian, right? Paul was Jewish, and that was an ethnicity. Uh, that was uh, descent. There was a culture that went into that. There was a lot that goes into that. Now, Jewish people looked at the world through a particular lens. It was their worldview. And, and the religious worldview of the Jewish mind was basically threefold. The first thing was that there is only one God, uh, like the Shema in uh, Deuteronomy 6.4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. There's only one God. And this God is not a God that's far off. He's a God that created the world and didn't just, like a watchmaker, wind it up and let it go, but he is actively, intentionally, and dynamically uh, interacting with the world currently. So that was their view of God. One God, good, loving, creator God that is dynamically uh, engaged in the creation right now. Well, there's a problem if you believe that, because if there's a good God, how can evil exist? So either he's not really good or maybe he's just incompetent, right? That's kind of the question that comes up. Well, the Jewish answer to that question was election, uh, covenant. They said, yes, this God, yeah, there is evil. There, there is a problem with the world, but this God has a plan and he is doing something in the world. And what he is doing is he has chosen a particular uh, race, which is Israel, a particular nation, Israel, to be his people, to be a light to the world. So that's what God is doing about evil in, in the mind of a, of a Jewish person in that day, okay? So one God, 
Good God, creator God, interacting with the world, and he is solving the problem of evil through his people, Israel. Well, there's a problem here. Because Israel, in 586 BC, when the southern kingdom was taken into Babylon, they began their exile. And even 70 years later, when they came back to the land, they really believed as a nation that they were still in exile. Because they weren't ruling themselves. Uh, you know, the, the Greeks ruled them, the Persians ruled them, Egypt ruled them, uh, Rome had ruled them. They weren't ruling themselves and they weren't reigning over all and they weren't being a blessing to all. So they were still a problem. And so they were longing for God to do something. And they called this, this would be the third piece of their theology, eschatology. That at some point, God was going to interact on their behalf, enter into the world, and set things right. And he was going to do that in three ways. He was going to forgive them of their sins. He was going to bring them back from exile. And he was going to raise them from the dead. Uh, this comes from Ezekiel, uh, the valley of dry bones. He has this vision of dry bones, and God is putting flesh on the bones, and he's, they're, they're coming to life. And so th that was their hope. And so the good Jewish people would appeal to the covenant faithfulness of God to interact on their behalf so that he might set things right, and they might be able to rule and reign and then bless the nations. That was basic Jewish theology, basic worldview that Paul would have grown up with. Now, Something unique about Paul is Paul is a Roman name, not a Jewish name. He had another name. Anybody know what that is? Saul. Yes. Paul or Saul grew up in Tarsus. He didn't grow up in Israel. He didn't grow up in Ju uh, Jerusalem in the epicenter, epicenter of, of Judaism. He grew up uh, a few hundred miles away in Tarsus, which was a pretty important uh, Roman city for trade in the east of the empire. Okay, He grew up in this city, and he was a Roman citizen. And this is a big deal. Okay, when we were looking at the classes, you've got slave down here at the bottom. Roman citizen was the top. Everybody else was below you. And because of that, you had rights, you had benefits, you had security, you had safety. It was said that, you know, a Roman citizen could walk the span of the Roman Empire and not fear uh, of being taken down because of the wrath of the Roman army was so great on behalf of its citizens. So there was a lot going for you if you were a Roman citizen. But the thing for Paul is while he was a Roman citizen, which was great, he was also Jewish. And there was a lot of anti-Semitism going on in, in the Roman Empire. Uh, there was discrimination against Jewish people in the Roman Empire. They didn't quite understand Jewish people. They didn't live the exact same way as most people. They didn't really take to the Hellenistic world like everyone else did. They, they were different. They worshiped different. They acted different. They talked different. And so they didn't really like them. So there was some discrimination that went on. So while Paul was a Roman citizen, I imagine growing up, he got discriminated against. And it seems to me when I, when I look at Paul and who he is and the way that he lived, maybe there was a little chip on his shoulder because he excelled or it sought to excel at everything that he did. Uh, he was taught in uh, Greek philosophy, uh, read Plato, Aristotle, Socrates. Uh, he read Greek po poetry, uh, studied Greek art. I mean, he was, he was Hellenistically well-rounded, okay? And he sought to excel at everything he did. And then at some point, uh, probably early on, maybe in his teenage years, he left Tarsus and moved to Jerusalem to study under the teacher of all teachers, the rabbi of all rabbis at that time. His name was Gamaliel. Now, Gamaliel, you may or may not remember from Acts. 
Uh, in Acts, early on in the book, uh, the apostles are preaching the gospel, and there's the council uh, of the Jewish elders and Jewish leadership, Pharisees, Sadducees, and priests that were together trying to stop what was going on. They didn't like them preaching about Jesus being risen from the dead. People were believing that, and it was making people go away from the faith of their, their Judaism, okay, and, and really kind of taking power from them. And so they bring the apostles into the council, and they want to kill them. And Gamaliel says, hey, wait a second, send them out. So he sent out the apostles, and he said, here's the deal. If what they're doing is of God, you're not going to be able to stop it because he's God and you're not, and you're going to find yourself opposing God, which is not a good thing. And if it's not of God, it's just going to fizzle out because their leader's been killed and all other movements have fizzled out once the leader has been killed. So they listen to Gamaliel. Now, something you'll notice about Gamaliel, he's kind of a live and left live kind of guy. He's, he had a very uh, liberal or progressive view of the scriptures of the uh, Hebrew Old Testament or the Hebrew scriptures, our Old Testament. And he was the grandson of the great rabbi Hillel. There were two major schools of thought within Phariseeism, okay? There was Hillel, who was the grandfather of Gamaliel, and there was Shammai. And Hillel, as we said, you know, he was very liberal in the way that he interpreted scriptures. And at one point, Jesus agrees with Hillel. Uh, Hillel would have said, the second greatest commandment is love your neighbor as yourself, while Shammai would say, be holy as I am holy. Okay, they, they differed on a lot of things, and this was a big deal. They're following, they, they fought a lot, they argued a lot about the way that you should not only interpret the scriptures, but also the way that you should live them out. And Shammai was very strict. Obviously, if it's second most important of all things is to be holy, to be set apart, to be separate, to be different, not to come into contact with unclean things like Gentiles, you can kind of see the difference. And here's why I'm even explaining this. Because Paul goes to study under Gamaliel, and at some point he rejects the teaching of Gamaliel, rejects his rabbi, and goes the other route, begins to follow after the teachings of Shammai. And we see this in the way that, that he persecutes the church so, so um, vigorously, in the way that he, he was so, so trying so hard to live up to the righteous requirements of the law. Now, this tells you a little bit about Paul and his arrogance, okay? Paul, B.C., Paul before Christ, was probably pretty arrogant. He's studying under the greatest rabbi at the time, and he says, you don't know what you're talking about. This is actually the right way, and he begins to follow after this passionately, okay? Now, Something happens, right? Jesus raises from the grave. Paul doesn't know this. You know, many of them don't know this. But, but the disciples see it. 500 people see it. And, and the gospel begins to spread like wildfire. And Paul doesn't like it. Because it's taking away people from, from the things that he is teaching them. Right? The, the first time Peter preaches, 3,000 people come to know God. The, the next time, another couple thousand come to know God. It means it's crazy. So you can see it growing rapidly, and you can see the jealousy that began to take place in the mind of Paul and others. So here's what Paul did. Turn to Acts, if you will, chapter 7. Acts chapter 7. We're going to start in verse 58. Uh, this is regarding Stephen. Now, Stephen was a Hellenistic Jewish Christian who was a killer teacher of the word. Nobody can contend with the way that he was preaching the gospel and proving it with the Old Testament. It was brilliant. And so the Jewish leaders that weren't on board with this were uh, not liking it one bit. And so they want to put him on trial and put him to death. And, and Stephen preaches the gospel and it's brilliant. 
They don't like it. And so they go out to stone him to death. And, and, and here's what we have in verse 58. Then they cast Stephen out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. This is the very first introduction that we have to a person. Okay, first impressions are a big deal, right? right? I mean, I was told uh, by a, an interviewer at Disney that sometimes, and this might not go up for the whole company, but th- sometimes this person would make their decision from the walk with the person from the hallway to the room that they're going to do the interview in. Right? First impressions are a very big deal. And, and inspired by the Spirit, Luke is giving us this first impression of Paul, or Saul as he was known as at this point, okay? And it explains a little bit more. Chapter 8, verse 1, and Saul approved of his execution. He wasn't just standing there going, I don't really know what to do. He's like, absolutely. You stone him to death, okay? That's a big deal. Begin to see the, the um, fervor he had to make sure that no one believed this way, the way of Christianity, He said, and there arose on that day great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. So Paul begins here watching an execution, approving an execution, and then becomes the foremost opponent of the gospel. In fact, he hates the way, which is Christianity, so much that he's willing to rip men and women out of their homes, out of their families, and put them in prison. This guy was a bad dude. And the early church was terrified of this guy. Turn to chapter 9, verse 1. It says, but Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest. The high priest would have been the number one guy on Paul's corporate ladder, okay? In the direction that Paul was headed, he would have been uh, the CEO of where he was headed. So, so this is a big deal that Paul is able to approach him and ask him uh, for, for a favor, okay? And th- this shows to you that he had lots of respect among his peers, his fellow Pharisees, and then respect from the high priest, okay? He approaches the high priest and he asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, which is just over 100 miles away from Jerusalem, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. He wants to go all the way to Damascus to rip people out of their homes and their families, to imprison them in Jerusalem because they're following after Jesus. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul. Why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, who you are persecuting. I was getting my hair cut this week, and um, I wasn't facing the mirror, and she was cutting back here, and she said, whoops. (laughs) And I thought, well, there are a number of people you don't want to hear whoops from, hair cutter, person, stylist, whatever you call them, um, your doctor, your pilot, right? There are a few people in life you don't want to hear whoops from because, because when they make a mistake, it's a big deal, okay? Let's multiply that by about a billion, okay? Paul, 
He's the most avid persecutor of Jesus' followers, Jesus' children, Jesus' bride, okay? He's persecuting them. He's voting against them so that they will be put to death. He's putting them in prison. And then all of a sudden, as Paul is heading to Damascus, he encounters the risen Lord Jesus and realizes, oh no, he's actually God. And his followers are the children of God, the chosen children of God, the new humanity. They are part of the kingdom of God and they're protected by God. Think about that moment. Think about that, oh no. That's a big deal. It's really interesting. I heard this, this theory, and we can't prove it, but I just think it, it illustrates really well what was going on. Um, back in Ezekiel, uh, he has this vision of God, and it's explained, I think, in chapter one of Ezekiel. And, and he has this vision of God, and he starts at the throne chariot of God, at the very bottom, at the very base, and then he works his way up, describing what he sees, and it's brilliant. Now, good Pharisees, uh, good followers of the Torah would try and recreate this back in that day. They would meditate on the throne chariot of God and they would meditate really, uh, you know, intently, slowly going up, trying to see and have a vision of God like Ezekiel did. So it's possible, Paul, as a fervent Pharisee, right, riding along to Damascus, a long road, meditating, right? It's likely he was meditating because he thought he was actually doing this for God. And could you imagine Paul's surprise when he gets up and he sees the face and it's Jesus? His God that he thinks he's worshiping is Jesus, the one he's actually persecuting. You know, whatever happened exactly on that road, that's the, that's, that's the situation, that Paul finds out that God or Jesus is actually God. And so that everything Jesus did, everything Jesus said, the way that he taught was validated by the Father when he was risen from the grave and seated at the right hand of God. And Paul was absolutely wrong. And every single thing he had put his life towards, that he was working towards, his, his hard work, his effort, his emotions, his, his anger, was not only wasted, but it was against this God and against his followers. And in that moment, everything changed for Paul. His faith changed. His theology changed. His worldview changed. His passion, his perspective, it all radically changed. Paul had to leave family and friends, co-workers, a, a promising career. Everything changed for Paul. Paul began uh, by, by saying that he was pursuing after knowledge, right? In the Greek world, in the Jewish world, he, was, he knew the Torah like, like none other. And the Torah is just the first five books of the Old Testament. He, he knew the Bible backwards and forwards. He was all about gaining knowledge. And it's, what's so interesting is one encounter with Jesus, and he writes to the Corinthians, when I was among you, I decided to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Because everything revolves around that. Everything centers around that. Uh, Paul was the best in his field. He talks about how he, he was raising about, up above all his contemporaries. He persecuted the church better than anyone else. Right? In his field, he was the best of the best. One encounter with Jesus, and he writes things like, I'm the least of all the apostles, not even worthy to be called an apostle. Paul is 
respected among his peers, respected among his superiors. One encounter with Jesus radically changes everything. And then the, the apostles, they won't even be around him because they're terrified. And rightly so, because Paul was trying to kill them all, okay? And so Barnabas, uh, you know, gets up enough courage to go talk to Paul. And then he vouches for Paul with the apostles and they finally see Paul. And then, okay, Paul starts planting churches around the world. And, and we see that in Corinth, at least, that his followers aren't necessarily the most respectful of him, aren't necessarily following deeply after him. So quickly they turn away and follow after other people. You know, Paul goes from having it all according to this world, the safety and security of being a Roman citizen, uh, the clout that he had of being a Roman citizen, the uh, respect of his peers, the respect of the people over him, uh, you know, a promising career security. I mean, he had it all. And in one moment, one encounter with Christ, it all changed. And Paul basically lost everything. Probably wasn't able to be friends with the Pharisees who he was persecuting the church with anymore. Right? They began to persecute Paul. They tried to kill him in Damascus. He had safety and security as a Roman citizen, and now... As a follower of Jesus, he was beaten a number of times. He was whipped a few times. He was stoned nearly to death. He was beaten with rods. He was shipwrecked. I mean, if you look at it from the eyes of the world, you think, man, his life was great, and then his life was awful. It went from great to awful. And I tell you what, it is this peace that for me is so comforting, that, that reassures me that what I believe is actually true. Because it's not the fact that he lost everything, but it's his perspective on what happened. He says later on, he says, all the things that I had gained, all the things that I had worked to achieve, it's all nothing compared to simply knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. In fact, I've suffered the loss of all, and I count it as filth that I may know him. Paul says to live, it's Christ. To die is gain because I'm going to get him fully and completely. I'll no longer see in a mirror dimly. I will see face to face. I'll no longer know him in part. I'll know him fully and I will be fully known. Paul says, I want to know Jesus so deeply, not just in the power of his resurrection, but also I want to fellowship with him in his sufferings. Paul lost everything and said, I've never been more satisfied one moment in my life than I am now with nothing except Jesus. It gives me such comfort that what I believe is actually true. And I look at what happened with Paul, and I think it's brilliant. The way that God can, can hone in and change the trajectory of a person's story. Last week, we looked at the book of Acts. We looked at the big picture stuff of what God has going on in the big picture with the gospel movement spreading all over the world. And God's huge. He's big. He's doing big things. But God doesn't do big things at the expense of small things. He also touches the life of the individual and can radically change its direction. When I was 33, I became a pastor much to my dismay. That's not what I wanted, um, but it was what God wanted for me. And, and now, looking back, I'm so thankful. But I was 33. And for some of you in here, that's pretty old. For some of you, that doesn't seem so old. Maybe you're right around that age, and some of you are, are older than that. But 
I tell you what, many, many times I've thought, yikes, what, what if for 33 years before I could have been really working towards what God was calling me into at 33? I mean, what if I had been studying the scripture so hard. I mean, what, what if I was memorizing scripture like crazy? What if I was taking counseling classes and learning how to do that better? What if I was doing fill in the blank instead of the random odd jobs at Smoothie King and user support where I just I was on the phone all day telling people to restart their computer, right? Uh, when I was trying to be a rock star as a musician, trying to gain fame for myself. Man, what could I have been doing? How useless was this stuff? And then even the things in my life that were not just useless, but against what God was calling me into. But I tell you, the life of Paul is so beautiful in this way because God doesn't simply write beautiful stories. God writes stories beautiful. God doesn't just change the direction or the trajectory of a person. God, like a skillful author, goes back into the past and overwrites the details of your life, making them useful for your new calling in him to go spread his name, his love, his kingdom, his family out into the world. If you would have had a conversation with Paul five minutes before he encountered the risen Lord Jesus, you would have thought to yourself, okay, first of all, dude's never going to become a Christian. Never. The, the last person on earth that would ever become a Christian would be Paul. Much less that he would become a leader in the church. Much less that a, uh, an avid Shamite Pharisee would become the apostle to the Gentiles. Right? The, 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 those Pharisees, they, were, they had enough trouble with their own people, much less Gentiles. No, you said, no way. No way. And God said, that's the one I want. Yeah. And now you look back at Paul's life and the way that God orchestrated it all. You look at the fact that he was a Roman citizen. So now Paul can travel all over the Roman Empire. You look at the fact that Paul had studied Greek philosophy and the, the religions of the, you know, the Hellenistic world and the way that he ministered to the Gentiles in that way and also in the way that he studied the Torah, the, the, the Old Testament, the way that he saw the gospel throughout the Old Testament, the way that he used it to write such beautiful scripture for us. You look at his life and it isn't just those things, but also the ways that he was avidly against God that God used to give him humility, to give him sympathy and empathy for people who have fallen and made deep mistakes so that he might see the grace of God more beautifully, more fully, more extravagantly than anyone else. I, I don't know what your life is like. I don't know where you, where you sit emotionally as you think about your life. And maybe you think, man, my life needs a trajectory change. The good news is God can do that. He's in the business of doing that. And maybe you're looking at your life and you think, I've had a lot of wasted years. I've had a lot of years against God. My life isn't a beautifully written story. There's a lot of pain. There's a lot of tragedy. There's a lot of rebellion in my story. The good news for you is that God is so awesome and so powerful and so amazing that he will write your past to make it 
useful for your new calling to spread his name throughout the world. He will use your past to speak deeply into the lives of people who've struggled similarly to you. The two greatest words in the English language are me too. I get it, I've been there. It's tough. I'm so sorry. That's how amazing our God is. And we get to see this man, Paul, write to the church of Rome the most um, significant gospel unpacking that we have in scripture. And we get to travel through this book together. And you're going to find that there are a number of things in Paul's life and some of the specifics of the way that he was raised and things that he did and things that he encountered that are really going to make Romans come alive. And I'm excited to do this with you guys as we do this as a church, as a community, as a teaching team. My encouragement is read the book of Romans on your own. Start reading it and we'll do this together. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are the God that you are. That you are weaving everything together so beautifully for our good, for your glory, and for our, our purpose of spreading your name, of being a light to the world. Lord, thank you that you, had, you have invited us into your kingdom, into your family. And thank you that you've invited us also to partner with you in the gospel. I pray that you would take our past and you would make it beautiful for your gospel and for your glory. I pray that you'd give us the, the courage to step into what you have for us. You'd give us courage to maybe step away from some things that we need to step away from. I pray that you would fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Thank you for him and his sacrifice on the cross. We ask these things in his powerful name, Jesus. Amen.